Amen. God is good. God is good all the time. Amen. You know, this morning, I'm glad that you're here. We're going to continue on in our series in Romans chapter 8. And if you have your scripture and want to go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8, I hope you all are ready for some truth today. You know, we talk about these promises, and God is a God of promises, and there's all kinds of promises in Romans 8. And uh, as we delve into this and keep continue in this, I hope that you will see the truth of God's Word and, and apply it into, into your daily life. You know, I read a, a humorous story about a man who went into this hardware store, and uh, he came out smiling ear to ear because he had this, this brand new chainsaw. And this chainsaw was supposed to cut, you know, they told him it would cut like five big oak trees in an hour, you know, and he was like, man, I got to have me one of those. So he bought it and he he goes out and and, uh, 24 hours later, his smile was gone and he finds himself back at the store complaining that this, this thing would not cut five oak trees in an hour. He said it took him, you know, all day to cut five oak trees. And, and the, the store manager, he said, well, let me see it. And he, they stepped outside and he, he uh, gave the, the rope a, a quick pull and, and uh, the, the engine came to life. And the guy said, what's that noise? I mean, you know, th- th- it's crazy because it's like some of us try to live the Christian life with no power. With no power. I mean, think about it. It's as, as idiotic as somebody buying a chainsaw and trying to cut down trees manually using a chainsaw. But that's the way we live our life. And I think this is very important because there are so many people who are just like this man with their spiritual life. I mean, they hear about victory. They hear about transformation. But they see le- little evidence of that in their daily life. And the reason for this, says the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, is because we have not made use of the power of God's Spirit. We've not made use of of the Spirit of God, the power that He has. And Romans 8 teaches us how to walk in the Spirit of the Lord. And, and before we look at this, this uh, few verses that we have this morning, I want to I wanna go to the Lord in prayer. So would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us today. Father, to worship you, to worship the Lord Jesus, and, and, and may you be glorified in our worship. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who has given us your word. He, he gave it to men who wrote it down. He, he breathed this. It is inspired. It is the word of God and only your word, Lord, lasts forever. And so, Father, I thank you for that. I pray that, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds. Father, that we would close out the world for just a few moments, that we would be able to see the truth of your word and where we are clearly at. But Father, I pray that you would be glorified in this. I pray, Father, that that you would just move us from where we are to where you want us to be. Father, we are in need of a, we are in need desperately of a revival. Father, not out in the world, but in the church. So Father, I pray that that would be so this morning. Father, that you would pour your spirit out 
upon us as we look at your word. And Father, that it would, it would clearly speak to each one of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. We're just going to read those four verses. Romans 8, 5, 6, 7, and 8. God's word says this. It says, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I mean, here in these verses, the Apostle Paul, he speaks very simply. He says there are basically two groups of people. There are those who walk in the flesh and there are those who walk in the spirit. Two groups, only two kinds of people. And everyone is either in one group or the other. You are either walking according to your flesh or you're walking according to the spirit of God. One or the other. So I I just want to look at this for just a few moments here. Look at those who are led by the flesh or the, what I want to call the sinful nature. See, we are born in this world in the flesh. When we bring a, a, a newborn into this world, they are brought into this world in the flesh. But in John chapter three, Jesus said that you must be born again if you are going to see the kingdom of heaven. If you want to see the kingdom of God, then you must be born again. And he's talking about being born of the spirit where the flesh is flesh, but the spirit is the spirit. And if you have never been born again of the spirit, then you need to be born again of the spirit. You need to accept Christ as your savior and you will be born again of the spirit of God. And that spirit comes and lives and dwells in you. And that is what we're talking about when we talk about someone being in the flesh and someone being in the spirit. Now to understand what it means to live by the flesh, we need to look at some additional passages of scripture. I want to I want to show you in in Philippians three, verse 18 and following. It says this, it says, for many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies. They are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we, which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. <laughs> Jesus Christ has the power to subject all things to himself. Wow. That means that at some point, every knee will bow. 
every knee will bow and every knee, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice that in that that verse there, uh, verse 18, he says they are enemies of the cross. Remember what we read in Romans 8, uh, verse 7. It says, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. Enemies of the cross, hostile toward God. Galatians 5, 19 and 21 through 21 says this. It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality. If you don't know what that means, we're talking about sexual immorality. A lot of the stuff that we see in our world today. The deeds of the flesh are evident. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, this is what I'm talking about, living in the flesh. We see it all around us. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. I'm speaking to the church. So let's just summarize this a little bit of of the person who follows after the fleshly, sinful nature, okay? Their favorite word, their favorite and most important word to the person led by the flesh is I. It's all about me. These people measure everything by themselves. They have no other standard of what is right and what is wrong other than this. It's what I want. You see this in the world, so do I. The person who follows the flesh has an uncanny ability to justify everything. Anything and everything. I mean, instead of lying, they contend that the truth is in the eye of the beholder, okay? It's your truth, that kind of thing. Stealing becomes, I'm getting or taking what I deserve. Wow. They begin justifying this stuff. Sexual immorality is excused by the fact that what feels so good, how could it be so wrong? Not paying taxes is excused by what they don't know won't hurt them. Or, you know, I'm already paying plenty. It's not that big a deal. Laziness on the job is excused by saying, hey, this is what everybody else is doing. Or we're given tremendous freedom. Manipulating situations. So your child gets an advantage is excused by the words, I'm only doing what is best for my children. You see it and I see it all the time, but it's people who are walking in the flesh. These things all have one same core, one core to it, and this is it. Whatever I can get away with is okay. Whatever I can get away with is okay. But notice this, the state of their heart. 
Paul tells us in verse six, he says, for the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the flesh is death. These people don't even recognize that they're spiritually dead. They don't understand that they're drifting further and further away from God. They're kind of like the middle-aged man who thinks that he's rich and he feels like he's on top of the world, not knowing that he's about to have a heart attack and that it's going to end his life. I mean, think about it. Or they're like the criminal who sits in his apartment smugly, applauding himself, patting himself on the back for sidestepping the law of the Lord while the SWAT team gathers outside his apartment. My point is this, judgment is coming. Lost people act like lost people because they are lost people. See, these people feel like life is great, but the disease called sin is causing them to drift further and further from God. And they have no direction, they have no purpose, and they have no hope for their lives. But notice also their true religion. Verse seven and eight. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You're not hearing it from me. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's God's word. I mean, these are strong words by the Apostle Paul. Because here's the deal. Most people, most people don't feel like they are hostile toward God. The truth is, we should probably translate the text, the fleshly mind is hostile toward the one true God. See, in our day, many people consider themselves to be religious. Many people consider themselves to be spiritual. You know, you talk to them that, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a spiritual person. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm spiritual. And, 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 you know, the problem is, is that they have replaced the one true God with little g gods that are made after their own imagination. Now, think about this. The little G God of contemporary society is a God that makes no demands and only desires that we all get along so that we can all have a good time. There's no accountability, there's no sin, and there's no judgment. See, this little G God is more of a good luck charm than the ruler of the universe, the one who spoke it into being. See, but the words are even stronger than that because Paul tells us that not only do these people not submit to God's law, he says they cannot do so. That's huge. It is not that they may not because they, they don't have permission, but they cannot, which means they do not have the ability. This is powerful. Think about it this way. You know, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, this, this is what Paul writes. He says, but a natural man does not accept the things of God 
excuse me, the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So think of it in these terms. Some people like to sing, but they have no ear for music. They couldn't carry a tune in a bucket if they tried. Their bucket has a hole in it. Some people want to be great athletes, but they have no athletic ability. Maybe they don't have the body for it. Maybe they weren't created for that. They, they cannot do it. Some people want to be artists, but they have no artistic eye. They have no, no touch for that. Some people want to be scholars, but they lack the understanding to grasp profound truth. And in a similar way, someone who has not yet been born again by the Spirit, they cannot submit to God's law. They cannot and they will not, and they have no real interest in bringing glory to God. It's all about them because they've not been born of the Spirit. They cannot please God. There are many things in life that we can amend, that we can account for, that we can train harder and do. But you're either born of the Spirit or you're not. You're either pregnant or you're not. You've either been born of the Spirit or you haven't. So, We've talked about the flesh. Let's talk some about the life in the, in, in, in the spirit, living life in the spirit by the spirit of God. Now, again, we turn to Galatians 5 and um, verse 22 and following says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Oh man, we need some peace. Patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. (laughs) Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. See, when we are living life by the Spirit of God, we begin to see these characteristics, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We begin to see those come out in our life. They become more evident in our life. And we begin to live more like Jesus did. Now, it's obvious that there are levels to these two lifestyles. I mean, obviously, Some people are much more ungodly than others, and others seem to walk much more closely to the Spirit than others. But there are still only two kinds of people. Those who are led and governed and and live in love with the flesh, and those who are governed and led by and in love with the way of the Spirit of God. And those whose mind is set on the Spirit have a new worldview. This is really important. They have a new worldview. 
Paul says that those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. If all you are concerned about is this right here, right now, me, myself, and I, then your mind is not set on what the Spirit desires. See, a person's worldview, their point of reference for how they see everything else in the world, determines many other things in their life. Your worldview determines what you do. Your worldview is what motivates you. Your worldview is what you consider to be the the source of knowledge and authority. Your worldview dictates what your value system is and how you view the events and the hardships, the trials that you go through in life. See, people who live by the Spirit have what I want to call a biblical worldview. We want, this is the, the words of the Holy Spirit. God breathed, written down by, by, by men, people, as the Spirit came upon them and inspired them to write these words. But these are the words of the Holy Spirit. And so if we desire to, to be uh, with the Holy Spirit and to live in the Holy Spirit, then we must, we must have a biblical worldview. See, that we seek to do what God tells us to do. We are motivated by the desire to glorify God. We, we view the Bible as our authority and our guidebook for life. We're not getting it from, from some television celebrity. We're getting it from the truth of God's word. Thank you for saying amen. Because it matters. And here's why it matters. I'll, I'll, I'll continue on in this. But, but you think about the values that we have or God's values and the, the things that, that, uh, that come into our life. We see them as coming from God's sovereign hand. The one who created and sustains the universe. The one who created heaven and earth. The one who created and made a way where we can be reconciled to him. We were made for much more than this. Folks, understand. Understand that this... This point right here explains much of the division in our country. We are operating from different worldviews. And those two worldviews are colliding. And that's why there's division and strife. They don't know God. They don't understand the things of God. They don't understand the kingdom of God because those things are spiritually appraised and they have not been born of the Spirit. See, on one side you have people who have a secular, an earthly worldview. And on the other you have those who operate from a biblical worldview. But you see, the way we view our world has considerable impact in everything we say, think, and do. But listen, here's the rub. Many people who go to church 
each week have a secular worldview. They're not concerned with the things of the Spirit of God. They're going to church, but they're consumed with the flesh. Oh, they're religious on Sundays, and their faith is separate from their everyday living. They compartmentalize their faith, and their religion is just one part of what they do in their life. But those who walk according to the Spirit have a relationship with God. And that relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, affects everything every day in our life. Every day, everything. Their faith touches everything they do. Because the the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the Spirit, he says in verse 6, is life and peace. The reason we don't have peace is because we're not setting our mind on the things of the spirit. We've not crucified the flesh. See, the spirit driven, the spirit led person is the one who finds satisfaction or life and peace. See, we have peace with God because we're forgiven through Christ. We have his peace. We have peace in the difficult times because we know that almighty God is in control. We have peace with each other because we've come to see other people through the eyes of Christ. And the people who walk by the Spirit are vibrantly alive. We see every good thing as a gift coming from God and every situation as an opportunity to honor Him in life, in death, in trial, in, in, in problems, whatever challenge it may be. It is an opportunity to bring honor to God. And so therefore, we enjoy the journey. We have a great time knowing that our God loves us and he takes care of us, knowing that that we don't have to worry, that we are in the palm of his hand because we are walking in the spirit. And as I wrap things up here, I I have some applications here, three applications that I want to give you. The first one is this. We're reminded by this passage that the best tool in evangelism is prayer. Prayer. The best tool that we have in evangelism is prayer. I mean, if a person cannot understand the things of God, apart from the Spirit of God, then all the arguing in the world will not change anyone. We can learn systems of how to share our faith. We can, you know, um, memorize arguments. We can recite all the verses that we want. And all of these things are good in and of themselves. But we will never see a person come to faith unless God first awakens that person's heart. Unless God calls to life that person's heart that is dead in the flesh, to have your mind set on the flesh is death. But you see, the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. I think this is huge. Do you want to see someone come to faith? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Ask God. 
Pray that God's spirit would be at work on them. Pray for their soul. Pray that God would be in them. Ask God. Ask God to tell them. Ask God to show them. Ask God to draw them. Ask God to bring this person to awareness of their sin and their need for him. Stop just saying they're lost. Pray for them. Lift them up and keep praying because the last time I checked, God is still in the redeeming business. He cares about his creation. He cares about those that he is drawing to himself and we must pray. God is still the one that changes the human heart. See, the best tool in evangelism is prayer. Secondly, I would say this. This passage gives us strength for the journey of life. (laughs) I mean, Paul has told us that the Holy Spirit lives in all who believe. The Holy Spirit is inside. He is our guide. He is the comforter. Later in this chapter, we're going to get into this later, but Paul reminds us of several great promises for those who have the Spirit of God in them. We sang that song earlier, Promises. Listen to these promises out of this chapter. We are children of God, verse 14. We are heirs of God with a great inheritance waiting for us, verse 17. We are headed to heaven, verse 18. We know that God is using every circumstance for good in our lives, verse 28. The Holy Spirit will pray on our behalf when we don't know what to say, verse 26. God will finish what he starts, verse 30. Nothing will ever separate us from his love, verse 35 and following. I mean, these are promises out of this chapter that he has given us because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking those. And third, we're reminded that we should seek to set our minds on walking in the Spirit. I mean, we need to ask God to open our hearts to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we must really want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't want to be led by the Holy Spirit, guess what? Our flesh is going to lead us. We need to ask God to teach us to discern the nudgings and whispers of the Holy Spirit. You recognize that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to come in and force you to do something. Jesus Christ is a gentleman. He's not going to come in and force you to accept him. We do this willingly because of our own will, our own desire that we want to be a part of what God is doing. And so we must present ourselves to the Father. We must present ourselves to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. See, it would really be helpful if we could turn down the noise of the world around us so that we could hear what the Spirit is saying. I love the story about the Native American who was in New York and he was walking next to this fella in, in New York on, this, on the street and, and the, the Native American, he stopped and he said, hey, wait a minute, I, I hear a cricket. And the guy's like, whatever. How could you hear a cricket 
in all this noise and all this traffic. And the Native American walk, walks over and there's a tree there in a pot on the side of the street. He reaches down in that pot and he picks up the cricket. And the guy said, man, how did you do that? How did you hear that cricket over all this traffic and all this noise? And he said, it all depends on what you have yourself trained to hear. He pulled a few coins out of his pocket. He dropped them on the street. And when they hit the pavement, everybody in that vicinity turned around and looked at the coins. And he said, see what I mean? What you're trained to hear. If you have children, you know that you can pick out the cry of your baby from a room of crying babies. But you also know the difference between it's an I'm in the bad mood cry or I'm in trouble cry. We can differentiate that. And how do we learn to distinguish these things? It comes from spending time with your child. You're able to hear their, their voice. You're able to hear and discern it. We listened and we learned. And in the same way, we need to learn to hear the voice of God's spirit. See, we must learn to listen when we pray. Most of our prayer is focused on our wants. Let's be honest. Most of our prayers are focused on what we want. Kind of goes back to the flesh, if you will. See, we have to take time to listen for direction. Isn't it kind of silly that we, we ask the Lord, we say, oh, Lord, give us direction, amen, and then we get up and we walk away. We don't wait to hear what his direction is going to be. If we are willing to hear and be patient to hear, we will hear, and God will direct our paths. He'll calm our hearts. He'll give us the perspective that we need. Brothers and sisters, we also must consciously humble ourselves before the Lord. Amen. We live in a world of pride that is puffed up with pride and egos and arrogance and all of this other stuff. But we must remind ourselves that he is God and we are not. His wisdom is perfect. Ours is faulty. We only see the present. He sees where the present is leading. We're like those who've been given one piece of a puzzle. And God sees the whole picture. We must also seek God's direction through his word. I'm almost done. We must do more than just amass Bible knowledge. We must work to put it into practice. I mean, when God gives a command in his word, we must seek to obey that command. When we are told to forgive, we must seek to forgive others. When we are told to encourage one another, we need to be an encourager. When we are told to seek first his kingdom, then we need to make that our goal to do just that. You see, God's word is the blueprint for how to live in the spirit. It's not enough to have the blueprint and to know what the blueprint says. We must also follow the blueprint as we live our lives. Folks, this is our manual. This is what it takes. There are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who want to do it their own way 
and on their own or those who walk by the Spirit of God. So I ask you, which one are you? God's word says, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. But it starts here with his people, humbling themselves, setting their mind on the things of the spirit and not on the things of the flesh. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for how you just open it up for us and your Holy Spirit just guides us in that. And Father, I do pray for a great revival. I pray for a spiritual awakening in this land. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out. And Father, that your people who are called by your name would humble themselves before the Lord. Would humble themselves and pray and seek your face. Father, that you would hear from heaven, that you would forgive our sin. Forgive my sin and heal our land. Father, I pray that this would be so for each one of us. Father, that we would crucify the deeds of the flesh, that we would walk in the spirit, that we would set our minds on the things of the Holy Spirit. And God, that you would be glorified in that. Father, I pray that you would help us to commit ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. Help us to commit ourselves, Lord Jesus, to your body, the church, your bride, the one for whom you died. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be the the Christians, the believers, the disciples that we need to be. And Father, may we be grieved over the sin in our own lives. The times when we've been more like the the world and less like a child of the King. Father, I pray that you would move us from where we are to where you want us to be. Father, in this moment, as we move towards a time of response, we recognize that in all of life, You initiate and we respond. May we respond to whatever it is that you are speaking to our hearts even now. And God, that you would be glorified in the church and in our lives and in our homes, in everything that we say, think, and do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.